Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 10. Song of Solomon, 7, verse 10. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that is timeless truth. Lord, so many times we embrace what the world believes because it seems like it makes sense maybe or because it's modern, but Lord, truth is how you define it as, Lord, not as the world does or we want to. So today I pray that the truth of your word would go forth, that it would uh, break bondages, Lord, that it would set us free. God, I pray for your anointing to preach this service, and I ask that you would please, Lord, use this time to bring yourself great glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, happy Father's Day to all the pops in here. Congratulations. Do we have any in here? I think Nate, this is, Nate, this is your first Father's Day, isn't it? What? No, no, you're the, I did this last service too. I'm not picking it. This is your first Father's Day, isn't it? Ha <laughs> ha! There's nothing like the first one for me. <clears throat> well, this is uh, Father's one of the best gifts that you can give to your children, regardless if they're still in the home or 30, 40, 50 years old, one of the greatest gifts you can give to your children is to love your wife. To love your wife. And that's something that um, we lose sight of, I think, sometimes as dads. We're so used to doing everything or you know, trying to provide, etc. And we forget that it's huge in today's society in particular to love your wife as a gift to your children, and they'll appreciate that. Now, what we see here in this particular book in the Bible is that Solom- Song of Solomon... And some of them call it Song of Songs. You can refer to it either way. Is a picture of what it is to know love. If you're a single person and uh, maybe you haven't fallen in love with someone, well, Song of Solomon helps you see what it looks like when you love someone. Or it will help you remember what it is like to be in love if things are just tough right now. And so Song of Solomon is this beautiful picture of what love is. And we believe that this book was written somewhere around 965 B.C. by King Solomon. As I said, you could call it the Song of Songs because Solomon wrote over a thousand songs. It says in Scripture, in 1 Kings 4.32, he wrote 1,005 songs. And Song of Songs means this is the finest of all songs. So that's from his perspective. Um, This is interesting because this particular book is not a narrative, but it's a poetic, lyrical, figurative play. It was actually written in that sense. And um, I say figurative because the main focus of this um, book and this message is simply this, that Jesus, our beloved, delights in us and gives himself wholly to us. That's the main point of this message, that Jesus, our beloved, delights in us and gives himself wholly to us. Now, 
The Song of Solomon is a story that celebrates the tenderness and the beauty of human love. It celebrates it within marriage. Now, um, what it does is it affirms marriage, the Song of Solomon does, and sex within marriage. Yes, I use the word sex in church. It, that should be fine, okay? So, uh, yeah, there we go. God's, well, let's continue on. Here. It affirms that marriage and sex within marriage are good gifts from God. Let's take a look at the outline of Song of Solomon. Chapters 1, verse 2 through 3, verse 5, courtship. Chapters 3, verse 6 through 5, verse 1, the wedding. And finally, 5, verse 2 through 8, verse 14, struggles and growth in marriage. Um, what we need to understand, you know, is, is that marriage is not a product of human society. This is not something that men came up with. Marriage is by God's design. By God's design. And marriage is by God's design to be between one biological man and one biological woman. And I was thinking how just 10 years ago I wouldn't have to take this section of the sermon and, 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 and lay out some details, but that's how far society has fallen in a short amount of time. Uh, it's difficult because God's word is truth, not a truth. It is the truth. And God is the one who designed marriage, not human society. We go all the way back to Genesis to see that. In one sense, I really see how the Song of Solomon goes all the way back to the beginning of marriage, and then it goes all the way back to the perfection of love in the future in Christ. This is just a beautiful picture. But, um, you know, we have to say certain things now because of what has happened in the culture and society around us, and it may make us uncomfortable, but we have to address it because we have to decide which truth we want to embrace the world around us or God's word. And they seem to be more and more in conflict with regards to marriage and sex in particular. Um, I saw a, a video of a lady. She was a 45-year-old. Uh, she had been a doctor for 45 years. And she was addressing Congress this week. And I thought what she said was so wonderful and so concise that I wanted to present it to us today. She said this, Gender is not assigned at birth but established at conception and officially recognized at birth or earlier, earlier due to ultrasounds. Now that flies in the face of what culture is saying today, that gender is assigned at birth. No, it is not. There are two genders. God created them male and female. And there are two genders, and they are not assigned. They're established by God. I would add by God to that lady's statement, uh, at conception, because God is the one who controls life. And God creates us. We are made in the image of God, and it is precious. And God created you exactly the way he wanted, with all your weaknesses, all your strengths, and he's the one who made you. And we need to say that because society has gone on such an off-ramp regarding these issues of gender and gender... Uh, uh, reassignment, surgery, etc. cetera. Uh, we stand on God's word in this church, and I always will, and I won't apologize for that. Um, whatever trouble it gets us in, it gets us in, and maybe I offended some in here today, but it's God's word, and if it's either the truth or it isn't. And if it is, 
then we need to stand on it. And I will always do that. And I know the other pastors and, and elders in this church will as well. Um, but that's, what it, that's where we're at today. And I needed to address that so we know where we're coming from. Now, the Song of Solomon is a pure, loving expression of sexuality within a protective, holy marriage. That's what it is a picture of. And as you read through it, you can see the very suggestive language. It's not pornographic, but it's very suggestive. And it's obviously talking about all the benefits of marriage. And um, one of the things that we have seen in today's society is that sin turns this pure, exquisite gift of marriage and sex within marriage into this dirty, ugly, broken, distorted thing. That's what sin does. It takes a gift of God and it just trashes it. And we can see it in society all around us. We can just see all the uh, damage that uh, stepping outside of God's uh, plan for sexual activity, uh, all the results of that. And now with all the uh, gender reassignment surgeries and the, the, the sorrows and the, the things that are happening, it just it breaks my heart. It really does. It just breaks my heart. And we see the consequences of sin in the world that we live in, how broken it is. And something as beautiful that God created to be in a marriage environment just broken and messed up. And, you know, we can take one of two extremes when it comes to this. One of them is asceticism, which is basically the denial of all pleasure. In other words, sex is hidden and repressed. And, you know, we can't say that word in church. You know, the Victorian type attitude. But I love what Al Mohler had to say about this. He said, Christians have no right to be embarrassed when it comes to talking about sex and sexuality. An unhealthy embarrassment in dealing with these issues is a form of disrespect to God's creation. Whatever God made is good. And every good thing God made has an intended purpose that ultimately reveals his own glory. When conservative Christians respond to sex with ambivalence or embarrassment, we slander the goodness of God and hide God's glory, which is intended to be revealed in the right use of creation's gifts. There we go. So that's uh, the one side of the argument. And again, there's nothing shameful about the human body or sex within marriage. That's what God created. God designed it that way. And we shouldn't be... Uh, shamed or anything like that. This is what God created, and we should be able to talk about that. I think part of the problem is that the church doesn't talk about those things at times. And uh, it's by God's design. Yet when you look throughout Song of Solomon, there's something that's continually repeated. And it says this, is that basically it's a plea for chastity or purity until you're married. Don't awaken the desires before the time is, what it, is how it'll term it within the Song of Solomon. In other words, keep sex within marriage between one biological man and one biological woman. And that's what Song of Solomon complete, uh, repeatedly kind of uh, urges us. Wait, let it develop on its own. Hold up, wait, stop. This is the time that God has planned. And that's why I say that this is a wonderful book when it talks about um, God's design from all the way back in Genesis. Now, the other extreme is what we see far more prevalent in the world today. And that extreme is obviously to indulge in sexual activity obsessively with as, in as many ways as you can, with as many partners as you can. And as I said, the, the results of that is just so sad, so broken that you see uh, 
you know, we're, we're talking about uh, this month is the overturning celebration of Roe versus Wade, and we think of abortion and how much, uh, how much of abortion was children who were uh, conceived out of wedlock and um, all the results of that. You know, uh, we appreciate that, and I appreciate the, the people in this church who did more than just say, yay, uh, this Roe versus Wade is overturned, but now we're taking steps to help uh, young mothers with uh, children and, and just kind of stepping up in that area, not just celebrating a victory a year ago, but making a stand even with our own personal lives, doing things to help young families and young uh, mothers. Uh, you know, we see, the, we see how, how sin has just destroyed people, the sexual sin in particular, just absolutely have destroyed people. Now with the gender reassignment surgery, you read the stories of, of these poor uh, individuals who are, are struggling with physical pain. Uh, we see confusion. We see the rate of suicide. All these things are increasing. And, and I just want to say that, you know, maybe you have struggled with uh, things in your life. Maybe you, maybe you had an abortion in the past. Or uh, you're struggling with things in your life. Maybe, uh, I, I don't know what that might be, but the good news is this. We have a Savior who forgives when we repent. And, you know, whatever you've gone through or going through right now, if it's uh, immorality in any way, shape, or form, we have a Savior who is big enough to forgive. And, uh, you know, we were separated from him. There was nothing we could do, and he came because he loved and he put on flesh, this God of ours put on flesh, came and lived that perfect sinless life for us that we're, we were required to live, but we couldn't because all of sin would fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus did that because that was the requirement to spend eternity in heaven, perfection. And you and I can't do that. And he went to the cross, and he was punished for all the sin of those who would, by grace, which means we get something we don't earn or deserve, through faith, believing what we do not see in Christ alone. And I don't know what that sin is, but I know that Jesus and on the cross, uh, he paid for all of it. And that's our God, and that's love. That's an incredible love. So if you're struggling with immorality and, and, or in the past, or, or you're feeling the guilt of an abortion or other things in your life, you need to know that it can be under the blood of Jesus Christ, and there is forgiveness, and there is hope, and there is healing. Amen? Um, sexual sin is this unique sin because it harms and it perverts our physical body. And I say that because that's what Scripture says. Look at, take a look at God's Word in Romans chapter 1, 24 through 26. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. There you go. Why, why is the world like this? Because of sin. Because sin has broken God's, the beauty that God designed originally in, in sexual activity. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Wow. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 
So the results that we see in the world, the brokenness, they're a result of sin. And we see how that affects our body. We have sexually transmitted diseases, uh, the, even the, the emotional side to that, all these sexual sins. And we just see how, how Satan has deceived so many people. And they're looking for love in all the wrong places and all the wrong ways. And God's design, God's design is the best design, the perfect design. It's the truth. And there is not another option. It's God's word. And so that's what we stand on. You know, the Song of Solomon is a picture of pure love that involves your spirit, soul, and body. That's what it is. That When you read this book, it's incredible. It's loving another spiritually, emotionally, and physically. What does that look like? How can we do that? Well, I'll say this. This isn't a Father's Day message that we just bash the dads. You know, I, I remember I, before I was a, a preacher, you go to Father's Day messages, and they just hammered on the fathers, right? You go to Mother's Day, and everything's great, right? We're not worthy, and, you know, the dads get the lashes. You know, that's not going to be today's message. Today's message is about marriages. So it's both spouses as I'm going to approach. I felt like I had to approach this first section of the message the way I did because of where society is at. And then I wanted to have a, a second section where just practical things and a third section about Jesus. So just so you know how this breaks down. But what about marriage? How do you cultivate and care for uh, and delight in a, a marriage that God intended? How, how can that happen? Well, I want to say this. First of all, guard certain things. If you're married, guard Guard your speech. Guard your speech. Both in public and private, don't do put-downs. You know, little things that you intend as a little bit of a dig. Don't, don't, don't have any types of public or private put-downs. You know, or a joke. You know, we, we try to make it a joke, but we know. Your partner knows it's kind of a side shot at them. There's no place for that in a marriage. Not if you want a marriage that is a, a marriage that is delightful and honors God. No criticism. Listen, you don't need to criticize some, your, your spouse in public. Hey, you know what? You do need to speak the truth in love. Make sure it's in love and do it privately. So guard against your speech. Be careful what you're saying. Don't say those words. Don't, don't make that joke. Be careful. Okay, be careful of what you say. Pray, God, put a guard over my mouth. I would say that we need to guard our speech. We need to guard our eyes. The obvious one there is pornography. And it used to be that that was just targeted towards men, but there's been an incredible increase in the amount of women that view pornography now. So guard your eyes. If you want to guard your marriage, guard your eyes. Don't put pornography in front of you. Don't do it. Keep it away. The next, uh, when you guard your eyes, another way to do that is, I call it no drifting. What do you mean by that? Well, it's, it, it's this look. You know, you're, you're going somewhere and somebody walks by and they're maybe scantily dressed or provocative and you do this. Kind of take a quick look. They were advertising, not my fault. You can break someone's heart by doing that. You know, it used to be old school. I used to use this example, say, when you go to the mall, don't be snapping your neck every time somebody's advertising something. Okay, keep your eyes, put blinders on your eyes. Love your spouse enough 
to keep your eyes on them and not everybody that walks by. And it, again, male and female. Guard your eyes, brothers and sisters. Don't be looking off. You know, and, and, and sometimes we think we can cheat. We'll wear our sunglasses. They won't see our eyes. It's a hard issue, people. It's a hard issue. Learn. Walk in those ways. And here's another one that we need to be careful for because this happens a lot. I'll give you an example. It's this one. Did you catch that? It's the rolling of the eyes. They say something, you go, that's so disrespectful. That, you know, you say, well, I don't ever put them down in public. No, but do you roll your eyes all the time when they say things? Because that's, (laughs) guard against that. Guard against that. The rolling of the eyes. Guard against, guard your thoughts, okay? Make sure your thoughts are scriptural. Make sure your thoughts are, are not sinful, okay? The Word of God says this in 2 Corinthians. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take every thought captive. We don't let our, our thoughts run wild, how do we let our thoughts run wild? Well, we're re- reading a, a romance novel or we're watching a movie and our thoughts run wild about someone else. Or uh, we're thinking back, oh, way back in high school, I should have. You run, your thoughts are running wild. You need to bring those thoughts and take those thoughts captive. Make sure they're scriptural. Listen, your enemy is not your spouse. You're on the same team, right? You're on the same team. Your enemy is Satan. It's not your spouse. So when those thoughts come in and they start picking at your head and start tearing at you, you got to take those thoughts captive and say, no, this person is my partner that God brought me together with from, the, from eternity past, God. And we're together. They're not my enemy. So we need to take our thoughts captive as well. So guard against those things. But what about, what about being proactive? Well, I would encourage you to begin and continue to produce good fruit in your marriage. Take a look. We're going to apply Galatians 6, 7 through 10 to this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Those thoughts, things like that, be careful. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. Maybe you're that spouse that you keep trying and trying, and all you do is it just seems like it gets worse and worse. And you're trying, and you're trying to work this out, and it just becomes harder and harder. And I'm going to give you uh, an encouragement from the Scripture. Keep planting the seed. Keep doing what is right, regardless of what your spouse does or doesn't do. Because that's what scripture says. It says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Do you believe that about your marriage? Because that's what God's word says. So we either believe God's word or we believe our own hearts, which can be easily deceived. And it goes on. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So what can we do proactively? to begin or continue to produce fruit in our lives. First of all, know and understand your spouse more deeply. And I say that because, you know, you kind of really work hard at that in the beginning. You know, I want to know your dreams. 
what you're afraid of, what your hopes are. And then we get married for a couple of years, and we, it just life gets busy. Let me ask you, if you're married, especially for a while, what are your spouse's hopes and dreams and fears? What are they? They change. That's what Lisa and I have found over time. Things change. Do you know your spouse? Do you know their dreams? Do you know their hopes? Spend some time finding out about those things. Know and understand your spouse more deeply. Do you know their love language? That's something that I'm going to get in. You know, I talk about that to couples all the time. It's part of my pre-marriage class. It's one of the things I do when I do marriage counseling. What is your partner's love language? There's five different love languages, and we all speak in them. You have a primary and a secondary. It's amazing, by the way, when you're a newlywed couple, everybody has physical touch as their primary love language, right? Especially the guys. Well, it's not. After a while, you figure out, guess what? There's more than one love language. And so what happens is, is when it gets to that, I want to encourage you. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then you talk to me after. But there's five love languages, and you need to know your spouse's love language because if it's different than yours, you're probably speaking a different language to her than what her or him, than what they speak. So five love languages. It's important to know that. Know your, your spouse's dreams. Know and understand them more deeply. Second of all, encourage and praise them. This is vital to a successful relationship. Encourage and praise them. When was the last time you said thank you to your spouse? You both got hard jobs. It, 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 I'm, I'm going to say this. If you are at a stay-at-home mom, you have a very difficult job. It's, it's a hard thing. I know. We raised five kids. But when have you either or had said, you know, I want to thank you. you. You got a tough job. That can eat away at a marriage so quickly. No encouragement, no praise from the other person. You know, the, the husband needs to uh, know or whoever that, uh, the, the, the husband needs to know, you know what, babe, I really respect what you're doing. Husband really seeks respect from his wife. Um, the wife seeks that statement of, I really love you. She needs to hear that. We, but we all need to hear that we're loved. But in particular, your wife. And your husband needs to hear, you know what, I really respect you. You go and you, you put in work and I want to thank you. You come home and, you know, I just appreciate what you do. When was the last time you said thank you to your spouse? If you can't remember, then you're not nearly doing it enough. And it's one of those things that we need to work on in our marriages to say something as simple as thank you. Thank you for doing the dishes. Thank you for cutting the grass. Thank you for, your, thank you for the meal that you made me. We need to encourage and praise each other because that's vital to a successful relationship. It's the type of marriage God wants you to have. And the final thing to continue on is just enjoy each other. Man, you, you just plan getaways. You know what my wife calls it? Forced fun. I'm having forced fun tomorrow morning, right? Because we got all these places we're going to go. And I had talked to my buddy, uh, John Schultz, this last week. And he said, so where are you going on Monday? And I said, honestly, I don't know. Lisa's got like five different options and he said, well, when are you going to know? I said, Monday morning probably. And I think we're going to go to Houston and do some things over there. But, um, you know, she calls it forced fun. It's not really forced fun. It's just I'll be busy with everything else, and that'll be last on my list. And so she just says, well, we're going to go do this. Okay. It's not like I don't want to. It's just 
She understands it more than I do, that we need that in our marriage. So you know what? You need to plan getaways. You need to be creative and playful with each other. Pick on each other. Have fun without digging. You know what I mean? So enjoy each other. Kind of start dating each other if you've been married for a while, okay? There's that, that, that giddy time, you know, that, that, that everything is fine because you don't really have any responsibilities. You know, things aren't heavy. You don't have kids all over. You don't have a house payment. You don't have cars, blah, blah, blah. And everything is just kind of fun. It's like electricity in the air. Go back to that. So my question to you as a body of Christ is this. What are you going to do this week to woo your spouse? Do something to woo your spouse. Plan a getaway. Plan just something small. If, they, if their love language is gifts, just go buy them a candy bar or something. I got a daughter that loves gifts. I buy her a candy bar. I'm the king of the hill. You know, find out what it is. Have fun. And I want to encourage you that La Crescent Free is here to help you in your marriages. You know, if you have a good marriage, it can be better. Every marriage can be better. If you have a struggling marriage, we're here to help you, to, to come alongside you, to do what we can. It's still going to be work on your part, but we want to help out. And some of the things that we want you to know are the resources for marriages here in this church are, number one, a small group. Because they're brothers and sisters in Christ, and you get into a small group, and there's some accountability, there's some ability to connect with other people. Another uh, resource that we have is prayer. Just come to the prayer meeting and just say, hey, can you guys pray for us? Uh, counseling. Ryan and I both do pre-marriage or marriage counseling, and you're welcome to talk to us about that. Also, I would say that we have books and tapes that can help you out. Here's some of them. Uh, I talked to you about earlier that guys really desire respect from their wives, and wives just that love, love and respect. A really good video series for you. You might want to go through that. And also, we have this series, The Art of Marriage. Getting to the Heart of God's Design. These are some great resources that we have. We have many more, but I just brought these out. You can check these out at the library. Uh, really good stuff. So we're here to, uh, you know, my desire for La Crescent Free is that the marriages in this church would be sweet, good marriages that really bring glory to God, okay? People say, man, those people love each other. Yeah, they do. Why? It's our God. And so let's invest in our marriages, and maybe you can invest in yours this week by figuring out how you might woo your spouse, you know, get back to that giddy love. Well, really what Song of Solomon is is two songs in one. It's this romantic story in poetic form, and it's this sacred symbolic story. It's about the redemptive relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church. And when I say the church, I don't mean this church, La Crescent Free. It's the church universal. All believers, Christians, if you're a Christian. It's all believers. The church universal. So I'm going to, if you hear the word church from me at this point, or Christians, they can be interchangeable at this point. Really what Song of Solomon is, is an allegory of God's intense love for the church. His church, his bride, Christians. Take a look at God's word. Song of Solomon 1.7. Tell me, you who my soul loves, where you pastor, pasture your flock. He's a shepherd. John 10.11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
Song of Solomon 4.7. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. And then in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, this story is a picture of Christ and his, his bride we see this peasant shepherd finding his girl. Isn't that Jesus, the good shepherd, coming for us? We see the Shulamite woman, who is the bride. She's a picture of the church and all who would believe in Jesus, redeemed from sin's misery and drudgery. That's the picture that we have. And then Jesus, our beloved expressed his unconditional love to us on the cross. Whenever people ask me, say, how can you say that Jesus loves me? Prove that Jesus loves me. I'll say it right there, cross. That's where. That's the evidence that we are loved unconditionally by Jesus, that he would come and he would put on flesh and bear our sins on the cross, there is no greater love than that. I said this during the first service, and I'll say it now. Those of you that are married, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think your spouse would have married you if they knew everything of your past before you got married? Everything. Even some of the things maybe you discovered about yourself since later. Wow, that's a million-dollar question, isn't it? Guess what? Jesus knew all that. And he delights, he delighted to take you as his bride. Isn't that cool? That is love. That is a love that we can't, is so deep. That's an unconditional love. He chose to love us knowing all the stuff, all the garbage he chose to love us, knowing it all. And we need to know that every Christian is sought and bought and secure in Jesus' perfect love. We're secure in Jesus' perfect, unconditional love. Take a look at God's word again. Song of Solomon 2.4. He brought me to the banqueting table and his banner over me was love. All you old school people remember that song? I'm my beloved and he is mine. His banner over me is love. See? little flashback there. I talked to somebody in between services. I didn't know that song, but I think my grandma did. <laughs> so if you remember the song, we're old. Song of Solomon 7.10. I am my beloved, and his desire is for me. Do you hear that personally? In Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. 
as I was preparing this message, this is a place where the Holy Spirit really laid on my heart to slow down and stop and say, you know, I really felt like the Lord was saying, Dan, you know, not a lot of Christians believe I love them like that. Do you? I mean, that giddy, newlywed love. He has that for you. You see, the reason we struggle with this is because we know us. And we know all the garbage and the baggage that we have. We know us. And we say, how can he love me like that? I have failed so many times. I have fallen so many times. Because it's not about your love for him. It's about his love for you. And how it's unconditional. It's not based on your performance. It's based on what Christ has done for you. And he has this love for you that we can't get our heads around. And it's this pure love, this holy love, this unconditional love that he, in his goodness and his kindness, would grant the grace for you to believe by faith that Jesus is the only way. It's by his grace that you can even love him. And he says, I love you so much. I think it's really hard for us, especially in the Reformed side of things, to to really get our heads around that. But that's what it says. His desire is for me. That's a newlywed desire. It's it's just this, man, I love you. Man, I love you. I delight over you. Can't wait to talk to you. You know, them pick up the phone. Oh, yeah, it's them. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for you. And we need to really embrace that and believe that. Because it'll affect how we live. When life gets hard and we wonder where God is, he says, here's where I am. It's never changed. I love you desperately. I love you. The Song of Solomon is a beautiful picture of Jesus' faithful and pure and intimate and unconditional love for the church and for you. Do you believe that Jesus has this newlywed love for you? That he delights over you? Because he does. Because of who you are in Jesus. And you know, he knows you intimately and he feels the pain and the pleasure in this relationship. You say pain and pleasure, yes. Because you know what? When we sin, it hurts him. And you know what? It's just like a marriage, isn't it? That's why when we look at the back end of, of... Song of Solomon is talking about a struggle in the marriage. And when we're walking in sin or we distance ourselves from God, he feels that pain, yet he still loves. He still loves unconditionally. He delights in our repentance. He brings us to that place because he loves us so much. Jesus, our beloved, delights in us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That he delights in you. And he gives himself wholly to you. He's not withholding any good thing. He gives you everything you need for life and godliness. He is our beloved. And we are his. And we need to know and believe that. We are loved with a pure, 
faithful, unconditional love. But we need to ask God to help us understand the depth of that love. That's what it says here in Ephesians chapter 3. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You are so greatly loved, you can't even comprehend how much you're loved. And he delights in you. I am my beloved's and he is mine. His banner over me is love. Amen? Let's pray.